Take your Bible, if you would, and join me in Ephesians chapter number four. Ephesians chapter four. Now, I hope you recall that we are in a Sunday night series that we have titled, Does It Really Matter? There are some things that you can just choose. It just, in a sense, it is, it is not overly significant that you might choose something that someone else would not. There are things that are left open to your discretion. You get a choice in the matter. But there are other things that we need to at least ask the question and come up with an honest answer. Does it really matter as it pertains to God? Does God have an opinion? Does he have thoughts on the, the question at hand? Does it really matter? We started this one last Sunday night and we're going to carry it on this evening. And what we're talking about specifically right now is does it matter as it pertains to what I say? What I say. You remember we, we started with the little children's poem, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. And we concluded pretty rapidly that words do oftentimes incredible harm. They not only have the, the power of harm, but they have the power of life and health. The Bible says in Proverbs 18:21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. We, we began by looking at a couple things and just by way of review, we, we at least began with God speaks. And so clearly there's a pattern set. We're made in the likeness and the image of Almighty God. And so God uses words and he uses them to specific purposeful ends. In the beginning, God, God created and he spoke, he said, and, and these words are powerful words. We also understand that not only did God speak, but we realize that Satan speaks. And the words that Satan used were deceitful words. They're words that were twisted. He actually took the words of God and true words of God and then begins to twist and manipulate the word of God, which he continues to do today. And you and I speak. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we were last Sunday night. So let's pick it up there. Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to look at verse number specifically 29. Ephesians 4, 29. Here the Bible records for us these words. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Now, you recall that we talked about that, that word corrupt, and that word corrupt means something that's foul. It means something that is rotting. In fact, it was the Greek word that would be used to define rotting fish or rotting fruit. It's that which, which no one wants to partake in. It should never be obviously brought into our mouths. And he kind of does a little play on the whole thing, and he says, well, it's nothing that should come forth out of your mouth. So let no corrupt communication, and that's really where we're going to pick it up tonight, and then hopefully we'll be able to, to move beyond corrupt communication and get to but that which is good. So let's begin with two aspects of what we would call corrupt communication. The first one we're going to review tonight or look at is what we'll call the profane, the profane. Remember the Bible says, okay, no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Well, what does corrupt communication look like? The first thing we'll consider is the profane. If you want to look at this in your Bible and, and follow along, we'll not be all over the place tonight, but we will look at some different passages. And the one we're going to look at right now helps us get this, this understanding of the hallowed and the profane. 
Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. And if you're following along, look down in verse number 7. Exodus chapter 20. Look down at verse number 7. So what is it that's not to proceed out of our mouth? Well, obviously the profane. Look at verse number 7, Exodus chapter 20. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. When God revealed himself to mankind, when, when the people, God's people said, hey, we want to know who is it that is, is the one that's calling us to follow him. Moses says, Lord, I'm going to have to tell people who you are. Reveal yourself to me. God begins to reveal himself to his people with the revelation of his name. And now God says, there's something you're supposed to do in connection with my name. They were to protect the name of the Lord from all that is profane. Leviticus chapter 22, verse number 32 says it this way. Neither shall ye profane my holy name, but I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord which hallow you. Okay, so what does the, the, the word profane actually mean? It's not a complicated word. In fact, I think that most of us with a common understanding of our English language would understand the word profane by connecting it to another word that we're really familiar with. And that is the word, not just profane, but we, we extend it a little bit. And we understand the word profanity, profanity. Well, what are we supposed to protect the name of God from? All that is profane. And we can very easily extend that and say, we're supposed to protect the name of God from profanity. You say, well, well, what is profane? It means to pollute, to defile. And it even has the idea of to make common. Leviticus 22.32 is saying that God wants his name to not be polluted, to be defiled. He doesn't want his name to be treated as that which is common. So we understand the the word profane, then connecting it to the word of God saying, hey, the, the name of God should not be used in what we would say, not only as a profane way, it shouldn't be used as profanity. In contrast to the profane, the name of God is to be hallowed. This is the word that means to set apart. In fact, the Hebrew word used here for hallowed is most often translated as the word to sanctify. Now remember, all that sanctify means is, okay, I'm going to set this apart for something special. Do you know, did did your mom ever make something and you say, hey, can we eat that now? She says, no, 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 that's for, what she's done is she's set something apart. Well, can I just have it? No, 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 no. You know, slap the hand. That's not for us. I've said that. That's for so-and-so. I'm taking that over to so-and-so's house. Well, you know what she did? She sanctified whatever it is that she made. She just set it apart. And what God's saying regarding his name is he's saying, I want you to hallow my name. Take my name and set it apart from all that is common. Set it apart from that which might defile Set it apart from that which may be in any way, shape, or form unholy. Hallow my name. Jesus furthers this idea in his model prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 9. After this manner, therefore pray ye. Our Father, which art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Your high holy name is the name that we have purposefully now set apart from all that is common. I don't use that as just any word. I don't throw it out there in just common language. God, I take your high holy name and I set that apart as that which is very clearly sacred, uncommon, set apart. This name is to have a special place of protection in the heart and in the life and in the lips of every believer. Taking God's name, which is sacred, and using it in a profane way is to take the hallowed sacred name and make it common. When, 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 you, when you respond in some way, you, you, the proverbial, you, you hit your thumb with the hammer when you're trying to drive the nail. And then the high holy name of God is used as that which is just common. It's used in a way that is clearly no longer set apart. It's used in a way that we might use now to understand it is profaned. Well, we, we, we understand like, wow, well, I just hurt my thumb or I just, I just you know, I, I struck my toe or I just, you know, th- this happened and it hurt. I know, but, but now we just took God's name and we just treated that name as that which is, is kind of the everyday kind of a thing. And then beyond that, we, we begin to communicate with God's name, not just when we hurt ourselves or we drive ourselves, just like so casually right now. I mean, without even thinking, it is clearly a part of the everyday language of, of a, a normal, uh, you know, Americana. It just becomes so common for us to to profane the name of God. And we throw it out without anything. Somebody says something, hey, did you hear about the sale at Kohl's? Oh my. And now we take God's name and we insert it as something that is just this this responsive expression. It's no longer I stubbed my toe or I I drove the hammer into my thumb or, or I, oh, my car was in an accident. Oh my. But now it's just this very casual, very easy, rolls off the tongue, oh my. And we insert the high holy name of God. And God says, with your language, with your lips, let's start with something really basic. Something that that should be just like those common understandings of, of what is it like to be a child of God? Isn't it interesting that when we get to the passage, when, when we're looking at this passage in Leviticus twenty two thirty two, neither shall you profane my holy name, but it will be hallowed among the children of Israel. Why? Well, notice what he does for you. I am the Lord, which hallow you. Do you know what God does? God says, I'm the one who has hallowed. I've set you apart. I've taken you, not just your name, I've taken you and I have set you apart. And he says, I'm asking you to do that with my name. So we take the name of God and we profane the name of God. We commonize the name of God. I, I know we're, we're speaking very specifically about what I say, but, but language communicates. Obviously the, the written word is another form of communication. I don't mean to be silly about this and I know we can be, but but just to take letters and construct letters in such a way that we're profaning the name of God. 
And we just, because it's so common to us, isn't that interesting? That the sacred has become common when, when we text OMG. And we just, we just put it in there as if that's a, that, yeah, I mean, everybody understands what I'm saying when I, when I text that. Everybody gets it. That's, I'm, just, I'm just, you know, the, the, I mean, everybody talks that way. But what God is saying is let's start with something with our language. Let's begin somewhere. So to begin somewhere means that there's something, an understanding that's internal. This is not just a, a watch over my mouth. This is a keep thy heart with all diligence. So I begin with an understanding of who is God. This is, this is not just anybody we're talking about. This is the almighty God. He's revealed himself to me through his names. And I want to take that name and I want to set it apart. We take offense when someone uses a person that we love in a, in a context. They use their name in a context that is derogatory. We take offense to it. And, and rightly so. Again, I, I hope I'm not speaking in, in, too, um, uh, in too, too juvenile of a way, and I, I really mean that. But man, when I was a kid, if someone talked about my mom on the playground, th- them were fighting words, okay? Because that's my mom. Hey, you don't, you don't talk about my mom that way. But I find it interesting that while we may take some offense to someone who may talk about our mother in a certain way, we find very little offense even from our own mouth when someone takes the name of the hallowed one and just uses it in such a way that is absolutely common. We have profaned the name of God. The name is to have a special place of protection in the heart, the life, the lips of every believer. Even a casual use of his name diminishes its grandeur. I think that because we're supposed to be careful with the name of God, that thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God and use it in vain. Okay, what does that mean? Well, to use it in vain means to use it in an empty fashion. It has no meaning, no bearing. So when we do this, when we do something like, um, hey, uh, uh, John, would you pray for us tonight? And, or Bill or Tim or, or Sam or Susan or whoever, would you pray? And then we start to just go through the auto prayer. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Uh, Thank you for all you've done for us. Uh, Help us with um, anything that we have going on today. And and thank you again for for being uh, um, uh, so good. Uh, Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. We've again, we've just used it in such a way that is somewhat empty. It's, it's empty. It's not very meaningful. We've taken that name, the, the name of God, and we've used it in such a way where there's not a lot of significance now to that name. As opposed to having an actual conversation. Okay, I'm guilty of this and, and you may be as well. Have you ever had a conversation with another person and your mind starts to wander? And they're talking. Okay, some of you are there right now. You say, yeah, that's happening to me while you're talking. Okay, so... I, I understand how this works, okay? But you're having a conversation and, um, and you know, you're, you're just not really, you're just not connected. And so they're talking and then, and then you're like, ah, ah. how many of you have ever answered something when they were talking and it had nothing to do with the conversation? And uh, so they're talking and, and you're like, ah. And then they say, and what do you think? 
Really, I, I just think that's the worst thing in the world. And you just really said something offensive because you had no idea what you were talking about. <clears throat> to be connected with someone in conversation, we're thoughtful, we're, we're interacting, we're purposeful. I, I think at times it is one of those empty things when, when we're having a conversation or we're su- supposed to have a conversation with God, but our mind is just detached. There's no real interaction on our part thinking about the one that we're talking to, the one that we're having conversation with. So what is it that we're supposed to to set a watch over our mouth regarding? Well, to begin with, from that which is profane. But he doesn't stop with that. He goes a little bit further and he says, okay, not only that which is profane, but, but let's take it another step. And then he says, put a watch over your mouth, or these words matter, that which is perverse. That which is perverse. Let no corrupt communication, we're back in our text, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. God treats this topic of of our language so seriously in the book of Ephesians, where we're we're at in Ephesians chapter 4, that just a few verses later, uh, after Ephesians 4.29, he takes up the subject again. So if you're in Ephesians 4, just turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And look down a couple verses, Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse number 3. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse number 3. Notice what he says here. He says, but fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not once be named among you as becometh saints. It's unbecoming. It's not fitting for you. And then he says, in addition to that, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. You say, well, wow, does does this filthiness, does that have to do with my lips? Yeah, it does. The word filthiness really communicates the idea of obscenity, that which is obscene. He says, those things shouldn't proceed out of your mouth. He says, there's something else that should. He says, "But, but this matters to me, God speaking. So what are we supposed to refrain from? Well, first of all, that which is obscene. The Greek word comes from the root word of that which is disgraceful. Like, wow, I can't believe that just came out of your mouth. That's disgraceful. That is obscene. So he, he begins by saying, okay, no filthiness. And then he goes on and he says, nor foolish talking. This is the only place in all the Bible that that, that Greek word is used. No place else. It's the only places right here. And it carries the idea, the best way I can describe that is is what we might refer to as flippant talk. Flippant talk. He says, nor foolish talking. We just get flippant. Like we're we're just, we're just, in a sense, my, my dad would have said, hey, you better stop mouthing off. Okay. Because he's saying something and then I'd just be flippant about it. And in a sense, I'm just mouthing off. So I start to respond and, and I'm just being flippant with it. It's no big deal. And, and the person who's speaking then is no big deal. We become flippant with our conversation. He says, this, this is not what's supposed to be consistent with who you are. And then he uses another expression. He says, nor jesting. Now this one carries the idea of a person who can take an innocent conversation and immediately apply something that would be so clearly inappropriate and they can do it in in a heartbeat. Now they they begin to respond with some innuendo. 
They begin to, you know, just turn a conversation. They just flip the whole thing. A person might have said something completely innocent, but as soon as that said, you can see it. Now, now maybe you've done this before. I know you guys have done this, but I know you've seen this before. Where you're preaching on something, and probably many of you have been in settings before where you have been talking in front of other people. And as soon as you say something, someone, you see it in, in the the people that are listening, and it happens with preaching, where you say something and all of a sudden you watch someone and they have a, a, a grin. It's not a smile, it's some kind of a grin. And then they look over at somebody else and, and immediately you see them whisper something and, and another person responds in like fashion. And, and it was something that was innocently said, but they just twisted it and they turned it. And now there's some sexual innuendo there's some inappropriate comment. And he says, listen, nor, nor, nor jesting. Th- this is a low mouth that is the product of a low mind. The kind of language that is simply inappropriate for anyone, but especially for those who claim the name of Christ. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 24, the Bible says this. It says, put away from thee a forward mouth and perverse lips put far from thee. So what is it, if, if our speech does matter... What is it that we're supposed to refrain from? Well, that which is profane. Okay, if there are certain things that are supposed to be just set apart, then then don't treat them as common. Obviously, don't use certain words or names as that which is profaned. Or we, we start to say, wow, that's profanity. So not the profane, and then what else is not supposed to be that which pro- proceeds from our mouth? Well, that which is perverse. It's like, oh, come on, that, that shouldn't have been said. D- don't, don't allow that to pour from your mouth. It really starts to ha- cause us to, to rewind a few things and say, wow, where did that come from? I mean, haven't you said that before? You said something, you said, whoa, where did that come from? Well, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So we, we have to just start backing up and doing a little bit of heart inspection and saying, Lord, there's some work that has to be done on my heart so that there can be some health that happens with my mouth. Okay, so the first thing that we look at is what are those things <clears throat> that we should not say? That is no corrupt communication. Okay, let's look a little bit further to things that, that I find a lot more pleasant to look at. What we should say <clears throat> What are those things then that should proceed out of our mouth? Again, in our passage of scripture, Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But then he turns the, the, the coin again and he says, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Instead of saying, clean up your speech, Paul uses something that is far more powerful as a form of motivation. This is, this is to me like, okay, that's helpful for me. He's saying, all right, no corrupt communication, but that which is good, and he doesn't put a period there. He says, okay, now here's what you're supposed to think of when you use words. No corrupt communication, clearly that's wrong, but here's how you start to focus your speech, the use of your words. He says, but instead of that, instead of corrupt communication, well, that which is good, to to what end? Okay, no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good, wow, 
for the sake of, for the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearer. The person who's, who's, the, the person whose your words fall on their ears, there's supposed to be something of grace that falls upon them. So instead of just saying, hey, stop saying that, he says, now think through your words. Is this what they're accomplishing with the people who are listening to the same? Notice that there's a pattern that Paul is using in this passage. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, he says this. He says, let him that stole steal no more. But there's not a period there. He goes on, he says, okay, but, but instead of that, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. He's saying it's not just enough for the one who stole to, stole to stop stealing. Instead, the way Christ would have us act is not only to stop stealing, but to labor so that we can be prepared when necessary to help meet the needs of others. He says it's not just stop doing this. You know, you and I can't really just have this vacuum. Stop doing this. Stop saying that. So, so in a very practical way, he says, listen, if you're stealing time at work, if you're stealing from other people, if you're taking that which doesn't belong to you, he says, cut it out. Stop doing that. But he doesn't end with that. He says, okay, here's how you're supposed to fill that. Start being diligent. Start working in such a way that you are gathering things because there's people who have needs. You have needs. Yours can be met by working. And then he says, and other can actually be helped by the labor that you are exercising. Okay, listen, if, no corrupt communication, but he's not saying stop communicating. He said, you know, sometimes we do this. Have you ever said this before? Um, you say something, you shouldn't have said it. Somebody corrects you and we take a little defensive maneuver and we say, fine, I just won't say anything. Oh, I can't even open my mouth. I always say the wrong thing. We're kind of being a little defensive. And you know, God says, no, no, that's not what I'm saying for you to do. Okay, so don't just stop talking, but turn your speech around and use as your filter, how's this going to help the hearer who actually receives my words? And when we start to, to break this whole thing down, but that which is good. The word good here, it just means wholesome. Like, wow, that was a good conversation. Have you ever sat around with people that you're close with? You're driving in the car, you're, you're having a cup of coffee, you're, you're at work and you're having conversation and you come away from a conversation and you feel enriched. There was something wholesome about the conversation that just unfolded. He says, okay, that which is good, that which is wholesome to the use of edifying. The word edify, it simply means to build up. But that which is good, wholesome to the use of building up those upon whose ears your words will fall. And then he says that it may minister grace. The word grace here means joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness. When Paul's writing to the Corinthians, he says this. He says, let your speech be always with grace seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. There's, he just lays it out. Okay, here's some things that should be included when you are speaking to other people, when words are coming from your mouth. He says, first of all, always with grace. Did you see that? Let your speech be always with grace. There's no exceptions to that. 
He doesn't say it should be mostly gracious. No, he says, let your words be always with grace. We often try to justify ourselves by saying, I only spoke the truth. Okay, have you ever heard another person say something like, well, listen, I just let people know I'm, I'm a prophet. The Lord's blessed me with the gift of, of seeing things that others cannot, and I just let them know. Do you know he's not giving you a pass on this? He says, always with grace. Um, you start to think about how the Bible, uh, the, the person who, who most perfectly embodies perfect speech is Jesus. And Jesus could speak very directly to people. But you know, it wasn't without grace. We look at, at passages of scripture that help us understand who he was. Um, Luke chapter four, verse number 22, and all bear witness and all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. People are listening to Jesus and it's like, wow, where did, where did those gracious words come from? There's a prophetic passage of scripture in Psalm chapter 45, verse number two. Listen, speaking prophetically about Jesus, listen to what the passage says. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. Therefore, God hath blessed thee forever. This is our example. Colossians tells us that I am in Christ and because he is in me and I am in him, his graciousness should flow from me. There should be something about our language that is always with grace. Do you recall things that people have said to you that have been words that some of you in here would say, those were words that changed my life? Words. And they were gracious words. Has anybody ever recognized something about you and they've, they've said, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? Uh, yeah. And then they begin to, in a sense, pour grace into your life. And they do so by the means of words, communication. There are words, hurtful words that have been said, I suspect, to many in here that you will never forget. But I also believe there's a whole host of people in here that have been the recipient of gracious words. And sometimes those are words that have literally changed your life. There's a story that I have loved for a lot of years. It's, it's written by a lady named Mary Ann Bird, and she writes of something that happened to her when she was a young girl. And she said, these are seven words that changed my life. Listen to what she wrote. I grew up knowing that I was different and I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate and when I started to go to school, my classmates who were constantly teasing made it clear to me I must, how I must look to others. A little girl with a misshapen lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth, and a hollow and somewhat garbled speech. I couldn't blow up a balloon without holding my nose. When I bent to drink from a fountain, water spilled from my nose. When my schoolmates asked, what happened to your lip? I'd tell them that I'd fallen as a baby and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. By the age of seven, I was convinced that no one outside my own family could ever love me or even like me. And then I entered the second grade and Mrs. Leonard's class. I never knew what her first name was, just Mrs. Leonard. She was round and pretty and fragrant. 
with chubby arms and shiny brown hair and a warm, dark eyes that smiled even on the rare occasions when her mouth didn't. Everyone adored her, but no one came to love her more than I did and for a special reason. The time came for the annual hearing tests at our school. I was barely able to hear anything out of one ear and was not about to reveal yet another problem that would single me out as different. And so I cheated. I'd learned to watch other children and raise my hand when they did during group testing. The whisper test, however, required a different kind of deception. Each child would go to the door of the classroom, turn sideways, close one ear with a finger, and the teacher would whisper something from her desk, which the child would repeat. Then the same thing was done for the other ear. I had discovered in kindergarten that nobody checked to see how tightly the untested ear was being covered. So I merely pretended to block mine. As usual, I was last, but all through the testing, I wondered what Mrs. Leonard might say to me. I knew from previous years that the teacher whispered things like, the sky is blue, or do you have new shoes? My turn came. I turned my bad ear to her, plugging up the other solidly with my finger, then gently backed my finger out enough to be able to hear. I waited and then the words that God had surely put into her mouth. Seven words that changed my life forever. Mrs. Leonard, the pretty, fragrant teacher I adored, said softly, I wish you were my little girl. Seven words. Seven gracious words that poured from her lips that a girl named Mary said changed my life. You have the power of life and death and it is held within your mouth. Words. He says, let your words, your speech be always with grace. And then he said, seasoned with salt. Seasoned. Salt is that, which is, is that which adds some life, some seasoning. It's not only to be gracious, but your words are to have effect. Salt makes people thirsty, so our presentation of the gospel is to do that. It prevents corruption. A believer's speech should act as a purifying influence, rescuing conversation from the filth that so often engulfs us. It, it adds flavor. The speech of the new man should add charm, wit, even appropriate humor to conversations. Have you ever been rescued because someone else added some seasoning to a conversation that was very quickly going south? Or someone was meant to feel a bit uncomfortable and then someone with gracious words all of a sudden enters into that conversation in such a way that everyone knew they just seasoned this conversation, preventing something that should go no further and oftentimes doing so through the means of humor, just some, some normal charm inserted into the conversation. So often I find that, that we, and even at times myself, we have a tendency to use humor as cutting. We, we use it at, to, to provide some humor at someone else's expense. But how gracious it is when humor can actually be used not to make another person feel uncomfortable, but actually to relieve tension and make everyone feel comfortable. 
And then not only with grace and with seasoning, but with appropriateness, that ye may know how to answer every man. The word ought means what I must say. It is the discernment that chooses words wisely and leaves many words unsaid. It is the art of appropriateness. Believers must know how to respond to not only one another, but to a world that is watching and listening. How ought I to respond? Ephesians 5.14 says, but speaking the truth in love, what a wonderful guard for our communication. The question for our mouths will not merely be a moral question, am I avoiding dirty or filthy language? But the Christian question, am I building the faith of others by what I say? Is my mouth a means of grace? Some might say, it's only words, does it really matter? Our words offer some insights into our heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So may our continual desire be the prayer of Psalm 1914. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Does it really matter? Our words, I believe, The answer is a profound they do.